Hello everybody, my name is Benjamin Kitchings. As always, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you very, very, very much for listening to mine. Friend of the show and, he said, two-time guest, Brian Parkerson, who is an independent director and producer, brought along a, basically a friend and... Essentially, well, I guess they work together now. The the director of Zombie with a Shotgun 2. They're here to promote a film called Zombie with a Shotgun 2, which is the sequel to Zombie with a Shotgun, which came out in 2019. You can go to the Facebook group, Zombie with a Shotgun 2, and also the Indiegogo. The links will be in the description. We had a very interesting conversation. Brian, I like to think of him as a friend of mine. We talked about, of course, Hilton's uh, film career. We also talked about um, Jamie Foxx's health. I'd like to say that I'm not in any way qualified to give a medical diagnosis. Um, I'm just a guy on the internet. Um, I did, however, have a friend of mine die of cancer, and I don't know, Jamie Foxx looks like he might be fighting something very serious uh, in his body. Also, we talked about something called the Mandela Effect. The Mandela Effect is named after a period of time in South Africa when Nelson Mandela apparently or allegedly died in the 80s or 90s. This was not, of course, accurate. But what's weird is that millions of people seem to remember reading news stories about it. We talk a little bit about the Mandela effect um, and things like that. I would also like to say that this film or this podcast is rated not safe for work. So if you are at work or with kids in the car or something, maybe listen to this a little bit later. Like I always say, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thanks for listening to mine. And I'm having an excellent day. I am having an excellent day. Um, and I'll see you later. Please go to the Zombie with a Shotgun 2 Facebook group and also look them up on Indiegogo. Zombie with a Shotgun on Indiegogo. I will be putting the links in the description. And uh, thanks. I'll catch you later. All right. Bye now. It it was... I remember that we we, we had decided to stop and we talked for another 45 minutes after that. Yeah, we decided, because I kept thinking, eventually this is going to peter out, but it never did. Yeah, well, uh, we finally did force ourselves to stop, but I distinctly remember, it's like, yeah, man, you know, you're like, hey, do you want to go ahead and like try to call? It's like, yeah, 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 and then 45 minutes later, we're still talking. All right, hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Ben Kitchings. This is the History Voyager. I guess I'm back or whatever, so yay. Um I'm here with Brian Parkerson and uh, a friend of his, Hilton Ruiz. Why don't y'all introduce yourselves? I'll let I'll let Hilton start. People know who I am. 
Hey, what's going on? Thanks for having me on the show, on the podcast. Um, I am, uh, people call me Hilton. Well, my full name is uh, Hilton Ariel Ruiz. Um, I'm a filmmaker out here in New York. Um, I've done uh, quite a few films. Uh, the one that uh, we're working on right now is called Zombie with Shotgun 2, Reloaded. Uh, obviously, it's a sequel to the first one. And as we speak, we're on a campaign right now as we're raising monies for the film. And there's a lot of excitement going on about the film and everything like that and how it's um, it's been since 2019, since the first one came out. And now we're here four years later, ready to get the sequel. And, um, and I linked up with Brian, which uh, Brian is uh, one of the producers in the film. And um, I let Brian go now. Has, there, has it really been four years since the last one? Yep. That's crazy. That's so crazy. But yes, uh, I... I... <laughs> Brian Parkerson here. Uh, it's my third time on the show. Um, so you're in for a long conversation as we were <laughs> discussing earlier. Um, <laughs> funny story about Hilton and I, though. Uh, Hilton and I actually met on my podcast. Uh, I was brand new, green in the game, uh, you know, just getting into filmmaking and podcasting. Um, Hilton was the second guest I ever had on my podcast, and he was nice enough to offer to mentor me. And uh, we just became really good friends over over the past couple of years. And uh, we decided to uh, go on the adventure that is zombie with a shotgun too. And now we are making it and uh, man, it is, it's been meteoric to say the least. I mean, Hilton, I, I think you would agree with me, man. I, I don't think we could have anticipated. We could have anticipated the buzz, but the evolution of this film and what it's turning into over time, um, I, I think has far exceeded our expectations. Would you agree? Yeah, I definitely would agree. I, I think from the initial first conversation that we had, and, and I'm not sure if Ben knows this, but believe it or not, um, we're talking almost about less than three months that the conversation where Brian says, hey, um, I want to come on board and produce this film with you, and I want to be able to bring somebody else on board that we can get actors and everything. It's about like three months, dude, That and and that notion of, of even having that in my mind because I was working on doing another project at that time. And Brian called me out of the blue, like, Hey, let's get this do going. I'm like, you know, at first, you know, of course I'm going to be like, yeah, why not go for it? You know, I mean, you know, because you know, it do, it's a lot of work. I know it's a lot of work and I, it, to, to get people on board and get people in the same synergies as you, it's, it's really hard. And I, I have to admit, I don't, I wasn't there. Uh, because I was concentrating on the project, and I was thinking about doing Zombie with a Shotgun uh, Part Two on the following year, 2024. That's when I wanted to take things serious. But Brian came in and like, let's go. So we went from zero to like 60 in like less than a second. If there's any such thing as that. <laughs> we I went like that. that in three months, we were talking. Wait, in three months, we were talking about a very small film, like if I did for Part One, and it just started rolling. And rolling bigger yep. and bigger, and here we are. Like I said, less than three months. We're on a campaign, and all these sort of attachments to the project and story, and now it's gotten bigger than. Yeah, I would never even believe that how it is right now. That to the point we're like, oh no, we, this is really serious. Go ahead. Well, I mean, just the the stuff we can tell you is exciting, but it's the stuff we cannot tell you that is even more exciting. Um, it's uh, yeah, man. I, I'm with you, dude. I, I feel like. When I hear you tell that story, I feel like one of those, you know, Flint and Steel 
things people carry around. <laughs> like I'm just that portable light of fire into your butt producer, you know? <laughs> like, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's the truth. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like I said, like again, you know, and, and doing these, uh, you know, we weren't even thinking about the campaign. We just was thinking about first, let's, let's, how we can do this, do that. And then we came on with the campaign, but as in like the things that has, um, mounted up to where it is now it's pretty you know this is this is you know it's it was always going to be a serious film but yeah. now it's become something that is like well um but yeah no i, I mean that that is the truth of how things began and and, and it's just an amazing this is like in a, around three months we've gone so fast that we're here right now and, and like it it, it it feels like it's been longer than that, but at the same time, it doesn't. It almost feels like it's gone by pretty quickly. Yeah. Talk to me about, um, I guess, Zombie with a Shotgun 1. We can talk about that. Yeah. Uh, as in, tell me, as in, like... Um, the plot, the uh, how, how it came together. Well, the part um, one, part one... Okay, so... <clears throat> 2012... Um, wanted to do around that time there were web series were really popular people were doing web series say oh let's mm-hmm. you know so i got onto that bandwagon say you know what i should start doing my own web series <clears throat> so i decided to do two web series um and they were both horror based right one was called 6666 which is interesting because i just released that feature three months ago it was premiered in amazon and everything and that started off as a web series and then became a feature it's an mm-hmm. anthology film of you know eight short films that i've directed put in together one that one believe it or not that was actually shot before zombie with a shotgun and then we shot zombie with a shotgun 2012 summer of august first episode went viral and it was like couldn't believe it like everybody i was getting articles here it was um, a lot of viewership a lot of views and, you know, eventually we did five episodes. And I have to tell you, they're like very, you know, cool five episodes. But it was something when you say, about... When you say episodes, I'm sorry. I don't mean... Five-minute piece episodes. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, go ahead. I think we should also say that 2012 was a long time ago now. Absolutely. And also, I think we should, on the table, it was a different time. I mean, literally, it was a technologically um you know everything web series is much more edgy was much more fringe you know what i'm saying i agree i agree i mean we're talking about a little bit over 10 years and and again going back with what brian says doesn't feel that long but it is long and almost in a different way you know but yeah it it was different. Uh, you know, the distribution was different. The cameras were different. The look was different. The storytelling how, was different. How? What are some of the differences? Like, can we zoom in on that? Like, what are some of the differences? Uh, I think a lot of the uh, the differences was. Uh, I think the. I think there was it was more of a, an artistic sort of element there in everyone's project like now everything kind of looks the same because everybody wants to get a netflix deal so every filmmaker when they go out shooting a film their first thing is like i want a netflix deal so they go with the the look that netflix uses you know they use the typical you know airy camera or the red camera and they want the same look and same feel because everybody wants that netflix deal knowing they're never going to get the netflix deal because everything is in-house so 
and a lot of these people are, are, are doing that. Not necessarily. Sometimes they do pick up projects, you know, so I take that back. There are projects pick up. But back then, 2012, Netflix, you know, kind of just began. They were, you know, I, I'm pretty sure it just began. I, I was never really kind of like paying attention to that whole thing. But everyone was working on their own art, their own look, their own style. And in their mm-hmm. storytelling, like, you know, they, they wanted to tell their own storytelling without having, you know, people come down their throat and say, no, that's not how you tell a story. Oh, that's very offensive. Oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. You got to have this person in your film and you got to have this sort of thing. So that was a difference. You had more freedom. You, you, you had more freedom to tell your story without somebody jumping down your throat and saying, what the hell are you doing? That's not what you, you can't release that because of this and that. So that's the big difference. And every, everybody's film had a look to it, a different style to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not knocking any of these styles that are out. I'm not knocking the Netflix style and everything like that, but it's just everything is sort of like a cookie cutter kind of thing. Everyone looks kind of the same sort of project. Everybody wants to use the same exactly technology, same style, same vibe and everything. And, you know, fast forward, that's where we're at now. And, and a, go ahead. It's a lot different from what I'll say is this way. The future we ended up getting is a lot different from the future that was supposed to come. Oh, man, it's, that's a that's a good statement right there. <laughs> I mean, you know, like yeah, I, look, the world has changed ever since the whole you know COVID and 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 George Floyd. I would tell you what really changed cinema. Um, um, Harvey Weinstein, him getting yeah. locked, him getting locked up, and he basically um, everybody was so scared of this guy. They, you know, because you nobody wanted to get blackballed if you went against this guy, and if you didn't yeah. hire this certain person that you know he basically blackballed all these actors, all these people that you couldn't work with, and if you worked with him, you would have got in trouble. And then when he was gone, everything was like a whole different kind of, um, you know, different sort of filmmaking feel right. and style, and everyone just went loose. Uh, and I'm not saying you know the guy, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that you know. It, it, Whatever, but you know he 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 deserves what he's getting right now. But that basically, after that happened, everything changed. It's a, it's it's a kind yeah. of strange and weird, but it's the truth. I mean, so you think Harvey Weinstein had that big of a deal? Absolutely, like, had, had that big of a pull, even on like super indie, like yeah, absolutely, okay. okay. Wow, well, because the, the- I, I think he was losing. Don't get me wrong; he was definitely in the last like. Four to five years, he was losing the edge. He was losing that power, but he still had that sort of like, yeah, among the keys to the to, to the to the heavens yeah. of, it's, of it's how a trickle. getting your film distributed. Yeah, it's, it's and it's also a trickle down effect. I mean, the the things that affect mm. the uh, studio, uh, I, I don't know the way to say it. Like the, the things that affect studio films and sort of the mainstream films, it trickles down to the indie world as well. Um, and, and he also was sort of a, a gatekeeper to that world. Um, what you know? What I remember, just to interrupt for a second, what I remember, like with Tarantino, right? After Tarantino came out for like I don't know years after, everybody wanted to do a Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I feel like, but very few of those Pulp Fictions ended up being good. Yeah, or you know the Pulp Fiction knockoffs. Tarantino is very much a 
a unicorn story, man. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> just like you know, like like every so often you get one of you get a like you know Damian Leone's been the latest one when he did Terrifier too. Mm-hmm. I mean, every now and then you just get that that person who just made you know Eli Roth was another one. Like you, you just get that that filmmaker that makes the right movie at the right time and it just happens to hit and catch and they explode, you know. And, and so I mean, now Damian Leone is you know signed with yeah. WME and actually I think. Um, uh, David Howard Thornton is, is signed with WME as well. The guy who plays Art the Clown. So, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, like, you know, you get those unicorn stories, you know, where, where just that, that filmmaker hits the right thing at the right time. Um, it's hard to pull that off though, you know? And, and the funny thing is too, and Hilton, I'd be curious to know your opinion on this. I mean, it, it I can't really tell you what it is exactly that leads to that happening. I mean, like, because there are, tons of good indie films out there that are every bit as good as something Tarantino makes or David Leone makes or Eli Roth makes, but it just never, it just never hits the limelight for some reason. And, and there, there are so many talented filmmakers out there of that caliber, but they just never get discovered. Or they never get their 15 minutes. I, I don't, I don't know what the formula is, man. I don't know. I don't know what it is that leads to something just exploding. Well, let me ask when, when Hilton answers your question, I have a question for Hilton. <laughs> Uh, what was what is really the question, um, Brian? I mean, like, is is there is there a formula to to being the next Damian Leone or being the next Quentin Tarantino or Eli Roth? Like, what what exactly is it they did? I that- think you know. I think well, let's go start with Quentin Tarantino. I think Quentin Tarantino did something. You know, it's always the timing, right? The timing was really right, and when he came out with the film, the way the storytelling was definitely unique, and the way he did it, and um, I think that. You go back to that era, what is it, 90? You, you start off with Reservoir Dogs, right? I think there was a came out in 91, 92, 92 right? Like yeah. And then then he started getting a cult. It was the writing. It was, it was definitely the writing that made it was very different. Um, and, you know, so when he came with 94, Pulp Fiction, he definitely got more money for the, you know, I think it was a $10 million budget, um, Harvey Weinstein, of course, put, you know, and the film was just very unique storytelling. It had a uh, dialogue driven film where it was just, you know, it was there. It was something very unique. It, it's considered the best, you know, nineties uh, film that, you know, they always pick one film that describes the best film of the decade. And uh, that film is always the first one is number one, always described it. Uh, Leon with the whole terrifier. I think that, I think he hit a mark where almost what I was saying that, we, during, you know, and I hate always saying it, but it's true. With COVID, we were all like forced to watch um, the films on television from these big streaming services, and we had to watch what they what they were doing. And I think Leon came here with Terrifier Two, did something that we all were like dying and thirsty to see. Something that is not what we're seeing for so many of the last three years. Uh, uh, of the same sort of kind of filmmaking story, ter- storytelling, and he comes with this whole like, you know, here in your face. Look, this is what you guys been missing, and I'm going to show you what you guys been missing, and um, and that especially helped out with the horror fans. Like, oh fuck yeah, man, we finally seen what we really wanted to see. We're tired of watching these sort of like same recycle films that we've been seeing for the last three years brainwashing us to try and say this is what a film is this is what horror film is and then boom he came out with it and i think that was just perfect timing and it was and and people was thirsty for that and it was great and i loved it too so yeah the i i'm a question for you hilton go ahead um with internet marketing like it is and with 
you know, Google ads like it is and all like that. What role in building hype does internet search play or does viral videos play or I, you know, that's like interesting. That. that kind of could fall for your, also that's interesting what you said before about the difference between 2012 and, two, and now, right? 2023, mm-hmm. right? As the internet was getting bigger, it was easier to get more recognizable, more promotion. Once they started changing the algorithm and saying, hey, this is how we're going to make money. We're going to start charging people for people to see their things. So then it started, to, the independent artists started losing a lot again because the people that had money were the big dogs. They were able to spend on the Facebook ads and the Instagram ads and the mm. average independent and the filmmaker like such as us. We were like, dude, how can we just, you know, we can't really afford to keep on putting monies every month. And, you know, and if we do, how much is it? Like, come on, 50, 50 bucks, maybe 40 bucks. I mean, if 100 bucks is a start for an independent artist starting to be a lot. These guys are putting out thousands of dollars. And that is also a big difference from like 2012, 13, 14, 15. You were able to, you know, see and promote so much better without the algorithm screwing up like, hey, we're going to put you in the bottom. Unless you give us some money, we'll put you up on top. And uh, look, man, it's a business. That's just the way it is. Uh, You got to figure it out. I'm not trying to say that you can't. I did figure it out some way, somehow to get my other projects seen and done and you know, that's just how it is. Um, and and it's just, I feel bad for the new indie filmmaker that comes out that starts. I, I mean, I do. I, I feel bad for him. Yeah. I but, mean, you got a guy who starts filmmaking now and he's going to try to promote his film on Instagram or Twitter or any of these social medias, Facebook. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to put out money. I'm like, it's like, oh man. Yeah. I mean, but I also kind of think, I mean, in a way, if, if you get the right words, like with Google Ads, for example, if you get the right words, you can get a big exposure. If you get the Absolutely. right phrases, right words, big exposure. No, no, I, I agree with you. I, I've done it. I've done it before. What you mm. you pick the the right keywords and <clears throat> boom, you know, you get yeah. all these people. And I, I totally one hundred percent agree with you. It's just you know you gotta yeah. sometimes it's hit or miss, right? And then you just like go ahead do it. And I agree with you. And well, it's the word of mouth, and and that's that goes for anything, right? The word of mouth, the right place, mm-hmm. right timing, the way just you hit the marks, and yeah, and it's like even with TikTok, you know, TikTok. There's a there's a TikTok is the best right now, number one social media, right? And I think TikTok is the best, and I there actually, is a trick on learning how to play the TikTok game of how mm-hmm. to get the algorithm. It's like a video game; you got to learn it, and once you learn it, dude, you're off to the races with that with that uh, platform. I got to tell you, man. I actually read somewhere recently, uh, TikTok is like the, I think the fastest growing search engine. Uh, yeah. You know, and also like um, the other thing I read was um, like Gen Alpha, like they're Gen Alpha and Gen Z. They they use uh, they use TikTok primarily the way we use Google. Really? Yeah. Uh, you know, I was that way too, Brian. I <laughs> I do it. Some, I do it sometimes too. I start when I want to search something really good. I go to I go to TikTok and I press search. And it like for example, if you want to like no ingredients or, or anything or like exactly, hey, I was gonna what, say that what's going on in the in, in the war. You put it on mm. TikTok. It tells you everything. It gives you all the updates, all the news clippings, all what videos. I I use it now for Google. I, I wouldn't Google. mind using it for breakfast, but. 
you know, yeah. if I was going to go out to eat in a, in a strange town or town I was unfamiliar with, I might do it for breakfast. You know, it's funny you say that because even like uh, traveling, I've used it too. Like if going out of state and I want mm-hmm. a particular town, you put the town in TikTok and it would tell you if the town is safe to go to and it shows you videos. And I have people that says, this, you, this is why you should visit this place or this is why you should not visit this place. And it's yeah. really good. It, it shows you all these videos of people walking around the towns. It's really helpful. Okay, Hilton, this is what, this is how Brian and I ended up talking for hours. Uh, tell me about your uh, your influences. Oh man, you know, I I I I think um, there's a lot of films out there that we can go on for 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 like you said hours, maybe days of. Uh, of filmmakers that had inspired us, um, yeah. and I, you know, and, and it's something something that I've always, as years went by, sometimes there are movies right that and, and that are not really that good, but there's that one scene that you're like, "Fuck, man, that scene kills any movie that I've seen." And sometimes a lot of movies have moments and scenes that like kind of influence you, inspires you, and does all these kind of things. So. I'm gonna say there's a lot of things. There's a lot of, even like a lot of like clippings and, and and moments and scenes that I feel like it's really amazing. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of films we could go like I could even like say things like. But one of my favorite, you know, uh, uh, filmmakers that I've always looked was always Ridley Scott and uh, um, you know James Cameron. Those guys were really loved. You know, growing up with those guys. But you know, then you have like you know. Oh, man, so many people, man. Michael Mann, I mean, was uh, one of the guys I... I uh, the original uh, thing was cool. Oh, John Carpenter, yeah. Well, you're yeah. talking about the Carpenter one or are you talking about the one from the 50s? Oh, the, oh, my bad. The one from the Carpenter. The one Carpenter one, yeah. Yeah, no, Carpenter was it was uh, yeah. amazing. Um, yeah. One of my favorite films is uh, Dead Zone. Um, you know, Christopher Walken and... Uh, mm. Kronberg, you know, that's one of my yeah. favorite films, The Dead Zone. It was just it was a great film. I think it's like a I mean, perfect horror film for me. Even though it's not really horror, but it is categorized in a horror way. I think it's really amazing. I mean, there's, a, there's so many films that we can keep on going with. Joy. My favorite film of all time is Blade Runner, but who's who's not? You know, everybody, uh, I, I would think so many people. Which version? <laughs> God. Uh, the the uh, Ridley Scott, the first one of 1982. I know, but there's so many cuts from the Ridley oh, the dir- Scott. Uh, well, the director's cut where where um, yeah. um, Harrison Ford is a replicate. I, I saw I saw a clip of Blade Runner today on Facebook, and I, and I was wanting to research how they did the special effects in that film because they're so. I know it was all miniatures and optical printing and stuff like that, but man, it's just yeah. so so incredible what they did with that movie. It's so beautiful and colorful, and there's that sort of steampunk cyberpunk thing going on. Um, right. What an incredible film. And by the way, Cron- David Cronenberg is a podcast in and of itself. Like what is going on? They, everything that dude does is like body horror. It's, it's something terrible happening to your body, turning into a fly. You've got some kind of machine attached to like your chest. Um, you know, <laughs> like, like everything that dude does is some kind of like something terrible is happening to my body and I can't control it. What am I going to do? Watching control. Watching the fly as an adult, um, I, I I watched the fly as an adult for the first time. Uh, watching the fly as a grown man, it's just so different than 
I didn't see it when I was a kid, but you know, like the the adult sensibilities, and you're like, oh boy, <laughs> like yeah. Well, uh, our generation saw it on USA back in the '90s, you know. So I mean, mm-hmm. it, it would be it would be interesting to you know. I've, I, admittedly, I've not watched it since then. Um, like, but what is going on with that guy? Psychologically, like, like, is it, is it a fetish thing? Is it fetishistic? Yeah, I I watched a documentary on that, and I I feel bad because I don't remember. But it, there is a reason why he I totally forget it, is it, but there was an explanation about this whole like like I don't know what you want to call it body modifications on on these films that he's done from like Videodrome and all that stuff, and there was an explanation on it. It's, I just totally forgot about it. But if you if you look at the documentaries that he has, it does talk about it, but. Yeah, no, dude, the fly was amazing. You know, I, I, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to be like, a, I don't know if I'm probably the most, I'm probably the old timer out of the conversation here. I'm gonna yeah. have to say I saw that in the theater. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, because Hilton, you're, dude, you were right on the heels of Tarantino's era. Um, I was. I, 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 I tell you, when I ninety two, you know, the whole Brothers McMullen, I, I would have to say that Brothers McMullen kind of started that whole. Um, you know, people give it credit as much, but I think Brothers McMullen uh, was one of a, a, a film that started that whole indie sort of like uh, revolution. And then when you had I've never Clint, heard that before. Say again. I've I've never heard that before. I've never heard anybody go back I, to Brothers McMullen. Yeah, Mc, Brothers McMullen was like that first like indie sort of filmmaking that you took your you know like really like a, a indie film out there. And, and and then you, you start to have the like Reservoir Dogs, and of course, then you had a lot of other uh, filming. Um, what's his name? Uh, Nick Gomez. Is it? You had Raising like, Arizona. Raising you Arizona. Had... You, you had. Um, oh my God! What was that? Uh, uh, Laws of Gravity. Um, yeah. Uh, and then you had. Uh, and then you know you had always. And then yeah, Quentin Tarantino just blew up with the whole Pulp Fiction stuff like that. So during that time, believe it or not, I was never into horror. I mean, don't get me wrong, I was always into horror. But that was the time that I really, really started filmmaking right there in high school, coming out, and everybody wanted to do a Quentin Tarantino-like film. Yeah. Um, and I was working on all my indie friends' films, and everybody was trying to do the Pulp Fiction thing. And it was cool. And uh, and even during that time, if you remember, horror was not good in the 90s. I'm sorry to say. I mean, people might get right. <laughs> You know, people get mad at me, but it wasn't. Scream came out, but yeah, but other than that, like, 90s was not good for horror. And I think... What people of an age, I don't mean to interrupt, but what people who are young enough, who are too young to remember this, Scream should have killed horror. Because what Scream was doing was it was making fun of horror movies. Right. Yeah, I, I and you know it's it. I, I guess I came from a different generation. You know, I did when I first time I wa- I watched Scream in the movie theater. So uh, I mean, you guys probably did too. When I watched Scream, I didn't even think of it as a horror film. I I, I was like, right, yeah, this is a horror film. I, I didn't think of it as a horror film, but the that generation. I, I remember laughing. I remember seeing it. I remember I was in the lobby of my dorm room or my dorm. With a bunch of my with my friends and girlfriends, things things like that. I remember we watched Scream and we just we were laughing. It was a comedy to us. 
like it was a comedy. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I thought it. Yeah, it, and it came off. So I think it was sort of come off. It was supposed to come off a comedy, right? I don't know. I just remember seeing it. And I'm like, okay. I didn't think like it was bad, you know. Everything was okay. This is pretty cool, but I didn't think it was a horror film like at that time. Like, this, and I and I remember people like, oh my god, it was so scary. I'm like, huh. And I remember just saying, I guess that's a new generation. I mean, I guess you know it is what it is. Yeah, you know, it is what I, it is. Yeah, I, I didn't, and even to this day, I'm like, okay. And I watched the last scream in the theater and the other ones too and everything. I'm cool with it, but I still watch those other ones and I still don't think it's a horror film. I, I, no, no, don't get me wrong. It is a horror film, but it is a different take on a horror film where where the old generation came from something different. I didn't think it was that sort of like, you know, because you could come back and say the same thing about zombie with a shotgun. People are going to say, that's not really a horror zombie film. Yeah, you're right. It's not. Yeah. It's not really a horror zombie film, but it does still fall in the horror genre. So I can say the same thing with Scream. It's a horror film, but it's not really. It's a different take. And I think maybe that's why New Generation caught on it. It was different. I don't know. But it's a big franchise. Every um, every time we talk about horror movies on this show, um, I always bring up Let Me In. <laughs> have you yeah, seen, that, have you seen yeah. that movie? Absolutely, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I it's love a, that movie. But yeah, it's, 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 it is good. It's a very wow. good, the movie was shot unbelievable. And you can watch it. The crazy thing about it, you can watch it multiple times and you get a different take from yeah. yourself. You get a different take from yourself as to what's actually going on. Oh, it's, is this like the American version of what the right went in? Oh my God. So it's Okay. So what they did, what he did, it's the it's one of the only times where the remake is better than the original. So what he did was he what's his name? Matt Reeves. Yeah. What he did was he reversed the order of a couple of scenes. But it's essentially like a shot for shot remake, except he reversed the order of a couple of scenes, and there's like something. There's like a scene missing from the remake or something, right? So, like, you never really, you don't know that she's a vampire for a lot of the movie, right? I think for half the movie or something. Yeah, like you that. don't know. Yes. Until, right. She, yeah. And then in the end, it's like you're, I, I was watching it again. Well, it's been a while now, but I watched it again for, to talk about it for my show, for the podcast. And um, I noticed that time I was like, because it's either a love, it's either a love story, the scariest thing you've ever seen or all, or both of those at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. no, it's, I agree. I, I think it's an awesome film. And go ahead. I'm sorry, cut you off. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, listen, I'm going to have to say that you know, you're looking at that film and looking at the new Batman. You have to say that he knows what the fuck he's doing. Sorry for cursing. Oh, you know that I'm guy like, took the yeah. film Batman, and he it's the same damn story. But when you look at it, it doesn't even feel like the same damn story when you watch Batman. Right. And he did that film like you don't even like the way he did the new Batman. 
you don't even look at the one with Christian Bale and like you don't even say, oh, it's the same story. It's it's just so amazingly that you don't even. It's like two different Batmans. Like he really it's figured out. Con- he did a cop drama, Christian. Yeah, it, it is. It, it's a really yeah. damn. And let me tell you something. That's the way Blade Runner Two should have been shot. That's just my opinion. I'm watching that movie. It's like, damn, this is the way Blade Runner should have been shot. I, I just. I, What's I, your opinion? Let me ask you a question because I, I recently saw Oppenheimer. Uh, what's your opinion of Oppenheimer? I did not get. Uh, you know what? I wanted to see it so bad, and every time I wanted to go see it, I just couldn't. I I I hear a lot of my friends tell me that they they think it was too it was you know too hyped up. There, it was yeah, it, yeah. It was it was weird. I went and saw it. Uh, I've yeah. never seen a film paced like that. Like, and I, I'm usually a, a big uh, Chris Nolan fan, um, and and I don't I don't dislike the film. Um, but, it, but it was like, it, it didn't flow smoothly. It, it, it was almost as if you were skipping around someone's mind, but, but, um, chronologically. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I don't yeah. know, like, like one scene didn't flow into the next. It was almost like you were watching different episodes of, of a TV show, but, but chronologically, I, I don't quite know how to explain it, but to me, the biggest sin that film committed um, right. besides being a little historically inaccurate was the, when, when they tested the, the bomb that the scale of that explosion was way off. It looked very small. Um, and there's footage of, there's actual footage of that explosion. It, it looked way bigger. I'm going to kind of throw a wrench in the conversation here because this okay. is something that's been prevalent on my mind recently. Um, all this Mandela effect stuff, you know, like, like, you know, the, the, movie, you. Sh- the movie Shazam not existing, you know, Pikachu not having the, the black or brown spot at the end of his tail. I know to be honest, I don't remember the Monopoly guy having a monocle. That one I don't remember. And, and Totino's has always been Totino's to me, but there's way too much go like, and, and it, it always affects our, my generation, the Xennials, you know, like, like we were originally Gen Y and now we're Xennials for some reason, but you know, all of us that were born in the eighties, grew up in the nineties, we, we suddenly like things we all remember didn't actually really happen. And one of the most interesting theories I've heard or two theories I've heard, and I don't think they're far-fetched to be honest. One is when they, when they did the first Hadron Collider experiment, they think that that is what kicked off a new timeline. The other theory I've heard is that um, I was listening. I actually heard Joe Rogan talking about it. He was talking about time travel and that apparently the way time travel would work, you can only go back as far as when time travel was invented, and then you can go forward as far as you want. Um, My, so, what if, what if time travel has at some point since the '90s been invented in the future? If it's all happening at the same time, and people are going back and forth now, and they're altering the timeline because they're not following the rules. Okay, I have a much more mundane take on the whole Mandela effect on most of it, right? What if the Xennials have come through a lot of stress and a lot of uh, changes and a lot of um, cultural changes, etc. And like we feel like we can't relate to the past and we can't see it properly. There's a couple exceptions to the Mandela effect. Like I remember what's his name advertising for Publishers Clearinghouse. Okay. I remember that. Well, the, the Tinkerbell Disney thing, man, that happened. I remember that. The Fruit of the Loom logo, the cornucopia on it. 
I want to say I remember that. I, like, like I, I know I've seen that. I remember that. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like Hilton, you dude, you were, you were an adult in the nineties, man. Like, I mean, surely you remember some of this stuff. Like we're not crazy. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I it's, it's so strange. I, I don't know how that, I, I don't even have no explanation of like why that happens. And, and I, I don't know. It's just, it, it is strange. There's so many, some, things. Of, some of these Mandela effects, I think, like the one where they they're like the guy didn't present the check on publish to publish yes he did i remember that ed mcmahon i remember that wait 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 so so they're saying ed mcmahon wasn't involved in publishers clearinghouse exactly dude he what no he was publisher i i remember this is the memory that i have i swear to god he was he was the spokesperson for publishers clearinghouse for years are they saying he wasn't they're saying that. Yeah. The people. No way. <laughs> no, you're kidding me. No, I'm not. But here's my memory of that. I used to watch Saturday morning cartoon. I like a lot of kids from, uh, back then used to watch Saturday morning cartoons. And that commercial would be on, on Saturday morning for some reason. This is no dude. This is bull crap. real. Snopes, Snopes is saying there's no evidence that McMahon ever worked for Publishers Clearinghouse. He was, however, a spokesperson for American Family. Dude, that is baloney. That is absolute baloney. Because like, <laughs> that is it malarkey. Is, dude, it okay. Totally we have not you and I have not discussed this. And I remember this. You didn't even tell like dude, there's no freaking way. There's no way. This this is proof right here something's going on. Ed McMahon did Publishers Clearinghouse. Well, here's okay. So here's what I think the Mandela effect really is, and this is really going to freak you out. Okay, this is what I really think it is. I don't think it's time travel. I don't think it's alternate universe. Okay, I think it's a psyop. I honestly do. I think it's a psyop. I think some body or some nation or something is convincing us that things didn't happen when they happened. I'm convinced of it. There is no freaking way that Hilton, you remember this, right? You you remember Ed McMahon being part of publishers. Yes, I do remember because I remember, because let me tell you something about Google ads. Let me tell you something about the internet. Okay. The, The world wide web, the WWW, right? Everything on the world wide web today, this might not be true back in the nineties or early aughts or whatever, but today Everything is pay to play. So every search result you see, somebody put it there. Right? Okay? I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Somebody put that Edmund Man search result there. Who did that? Is my question. Right? <laughs> Because the one, the, 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 what do you call it? The Mandela effect about uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That, I could see that. Like, what's, what's that. What's that one? Yeah, I don't know that one. So, somebody showed a clip of, of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And the song's different. You know the song that he did? Yeah, the, was, yeah, the, the 
I remember the intro very well. And if you show okay. me a different intro, the I, songs, I saw this on TikTok, but he, the song's different on the video that he had. But I get that because what that is, is that's just an alternate take. That's just an extended version or whatever. That's not, that's not people saying that man didn't do publisher's clearinghouse. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's pretty, I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I, it is pretty strange when you think about it. Like what the hell? It's weird. Or like the Pikachu tail. Okay, I've never seen that show in my life, but I know the Pikachu tail when I see it. He had something on the end of his tail. I he know did. for a fact he did. But now he does not. Dude, I'm telling you, it, it, it is really messing with my head. Okay, like, like they're, the, they're one, to... the one with Britney Spears. Do you know the one with Britney Spears? No. Uh, I think I've heard it, but remind me. Okay, first, let me put some musical cards on the table. All right? Musical cards on the table now, all right? I am into metal and punk and country music, and I like Outkast, okay? That is my musical taste. I do not like Britney Spears. I do not like her music. I can't stand it. I know for a fact I saw a music video of Britney Spears doing that song. I'm not going to say the title of the song on the podcast. Because that word means something different now than it meant in the 90s. But in the video, she was wearing a microphone. I remember that. Yeah, it was it was on her head. She, she was wearing that ear. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. And yeah. the Mandela effect is she's no longer... And if you look at the video, she's not wearing the microphone anymore. Okay, so how 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 is it I knew... That it was an ear an earpiece microphone that went that went around to her mouth. How is it my, I knew that if it didn't really happen? My question is this, all right? My que- and I'm just asking this question. I'm into Pantera. I'm into Metallica. I'm when she was out like musically, like when I was in my early twenties, I was into Metallica, Pantera, Megadeth, you know, all all like that. I would not have sat still for a Britney Spears video. I would not have cared about the the VMAs where they said she wore the microphone. I remember that video. I remember her wearing the <coughs> microphone. I remember yeah, that. I remember seeing a video about this, and and, and, it, and it brought up the, the the her not wearing a mic versus wearing a mic, and like I remember that. I remember the mic on her exactly. Yeah, there's there's no like guys. Th- there's no way this many people are misremembering things. What I think it is is a psyop. I don't think we've entered into a parallel. I think somebody somewhere is trying to convince people that what you remember is not what you remember. But to what end, man? And how do you get so many people to cooperate? Like, like if it is a psyop, what's what's the end? What's the end goal? I don't know what the end goal is, but let me tell you how easy it is, right? Do you care? I mean, okay, not to sound mean, right? I'm sure Britney Spears is a lovely person. I'm sure if I knew her, I'd think she was a great human. But do you care about Britney Spears? Like, uh, let me, <laughs> okay, let me put it to you this way. Who do you care more about? Your mom or Britney Spears? <laughs> 
I mean, obviously we're going to, we're going to pick our family. And I will say Britney Spears has got some good knife skills. No, but listen, okay. What I'm saying is you don't put that much thought into it. Right. Right. So if somebody says, well, this happened. Okay. Sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't care. Sure. If you say that happened, sure. It did. Fine. (laughs) It's a look. There's there. There are too many people that remember these things for, for this to not be a thing. I'm um, telling you, you can't have mass hysteria like that, man. I'm telling you it's a psyop. I mean, next Hilton's going to tell me that some of his films don't Hilton, Are you sure all your films still exist? <laughs> like, like <laughs> have you checked your YouTube dude? Like <laughs> I got to check it out. You never know. Yes. It's like, I don't know. I remember doing this film in the nineties and YouTube is saying I didn't. I'm telling um, you it's a psyop. I'm saying right now on my show, this is a psyop, and I don't know who's behind it or what the goal is, but this is a psyop. I George I can, Soros. It's a George Soros thing. <laughs> I guarantee you, it's That's a funny. That's just yeah. so strange, though, man. Like, like I, 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 my my question would be to what to what end and why and how do you get Nintendo to play along with it? How how do you get Disney to play along? You're with not it? getting Nintendo and Disney. You're getting because why would Nintendo and Disney refute that? You see what I'm saying? Imagine like five years from now, if they just suddenly came out and were like, Hey guys, just want to let you know, everything you remembered is true. We were just doing a social experiment. You know, ah, man, it's, it's, you know, so here's a historical thing that happened back in the, back in Queen Elizabeth's day, the first Queen Elizabeth. Um, And historians don't like to talk about it in public. Because it's, it's weird. It's genuinely strange. But here you go. Um, during Queen Elizabeth's day, during the reign of Queen Elizabeth I, on an island where a lot of people were illiterate and a lot of people didn't know they were on an island, somehow the nation of England got it into its head pretty much at the same time. If they didn't start colonizing places, they were going to starve to death because they were going to run out of food. The question is, how did that happen? Hmm. Nobody likes to talk. No historian likes to bring this up in public because nobody has an answer. But there was a period of time during the reign of Queen Elizabeth when all these British people or all these English people were like, oh my God, we're going to run out of food soon. We got to start colonizing places. That's a, that's, that's a strange thing to convince a nation of. But see, that's what's weird is it wasn't like this was a thought from on high. This was something from the below bubbling up. See? Hmm. So how did but how did this travel? Because people couldn't read? Right? So it's kind of like with the Mandela effect. How did all these people get it into their head that the Will Smith song was a certain way when anybody I swear to God, anybody between the ages of 51 and I don't know, uh 29 
can sit there and tell you this, the 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 song from Fresh Prince, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't know how it could be any different. I, I'm gonna have to look at that one because I'm, I mean, I, I've I, I remember watching that on TBS every day as a kid. Back the, the only 90s. thing, the only rational explanation for that one is that's an extended cut. The 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 DVD the guy showed was an extended cut or an alternate take or something. But the the one with Britney Spears in the microphone, that's where I'm like, okay, no. <laughs> right? Like, no. <laughs> yeah. There's 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 weird stuff happening, man. Like now they're talking about all these celebrities being cloned. Like, have you seen Jamie Foxx when uh when he when he quote unquote got out of the hospital and did that little video of him saying he was doing better? That is not Jamie Foxx. I'm sorry. And then there's there was some rapper, what? I don't know his name, but he was he was outright telling people, I am not the I am a clone. Um, what happened? Okay, so I'm real busy these days. So Jamie Foxx, I know who Jamie Foxx is. I know he was hospitalized in Atlanta because I live here. Only because I read the AJC do I know that Jamie Foxx was in the hospital. Um, right? But what happened? I have no idea. I don't know if they've ever publicly announced why. No, they never. The they never. They never talked about it. Yeah. yeah. But that that guy in that video is not Jamie Fox. Okay. His the skin tone's not right. His he he. That's just that's not Jamie Foxx. Well, man. I mean, I'll tell you. I'll tell you how it might be. Now, I'm not saying it is or it isn't, but I'll tell you how it might be. Um, when you're really sick, even for white people, when you're really sick, your skin changes, right? You see what I'm saying? You know. If, if, if you were to be a newborn as an adult, the way he looked in that video would make sense. Okay. Let me, now you've got, now you've got my, okay, hold on. <laughs> now I'm going to. Jamie, is it FXX? If it, is it X? Okay. Here it is. Two X's. All right. Where's the new. All right. All right. This is just what I'm saying. I wonder if he has cancer. I mean, he very well could. I mean, I'm I'm just I don't know. Okay, internet world. I'm not part of the Fox people. I'm not the Jamie Fox people, okay? I'm not connected to that. I'm not this is not a medical opinion. I'm just a dude on the internet, okay? I'm looking at this picture and I'm looking at Jamie Foxx like the other pictures of Jamie Foxx. And I'm remembering a buddy of mine that had that had cancer. And I wonder if Jamie Foxx has cancer. Or what if he's fresh out of the, the test tube? You know? Mm-mm. Because um, this looks like my buddy that had cancer. I mean, well, my buddy was white, but this like this is like what happens when you have cancer. Or something like that. Something that your body's fighting. I don't you know? know. I don't know. It just, it I'm just, just saying. It just, it just looks weird. I, yeah. 
it doesn't look it doesn't look like he doesn't look like himself. He doesn't this is not I mean if you told me this was if I saw this picture I might think that was Jamie Foxx. No I wouldn't. No. Because he's he's got to be sick. Mm-hmm. He's really sick is what I'm saying. Stunt double. <laughs> Brian's like stunt double. Stand, stand, stand in. Stand in. Oh man. That that was a that was a fun tangent. That was a fun tangent. Oh, it was. My 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 brain hurts now. Well, let me okay, so let's get back to the movies. Have you thought about doing a movie about the Mandela effect? <laughs> I mean we very we very well could. We very well could. Um <sighs> Uh, you know, I had written a, um, you know, damn, how many stories I've written? Um, I had written a story about uh, a glitch happening. Um, oh my god, it was a pretty damn good fucking uh, sorry, uh, good no, story. It's okay. Script about um, and there was a glitch on on um, there's one particular uh gentleman um it's, mm-hmm. it's a priest actually and a priest figures out there's a glitch in in the whole uh spiritual world i don't want to get into too much of the okay. whole okay i don't want to get spirit world okay yeah i don't want to get too much on it and it's sort of like parallel with the mandela effect not all the way but it's parallel with it and um yeah it, it it's similar to it but it's uh yeah. yeah, I I mean, because if, if you're asking me if I ever thought of writing a story about it, I have something very similar I've written about. So um, for the purposes of my mother, um, the Mandela effect is basically there was a rumor going around South Africa that Nelson Mandela had died or something. In the 80s. <laughs> yeah. In the 80s or 90s. And he was very much not dead. And the rumor was such that people even re- remembered... Um, seeing newspapers about it i think yeah yeah he died like recently um well not that recently now i was like 2013 or something i'd say the way to do it is do a movie like they live where you know you're walking around a reality that everyone sees things a certain way and then you can see it the other way like you you can see shazam you know you can see the monopoly guy as he was like like you'd have to take like a they live approach to it so Um, we were talking I just had this memory or whatever. And the memory I had was I read somewhere that the original script of Groundhog Day was very different. And the original script was he never got out of it. Hmm. Hmm. That would have been more of a horror film. That would have been yeah. that would have been terrifying. Well, you could you could make something of that though, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you could still make something of your life if you had to live the same day every day. I mean, yeah, but the first thirty years would be okay. But after that, <laughs> there was a there was a Twilight Zone episode where this guy's on a ship. And uh, he's got this just foreboding feeling the entire episode, like something bad's going to happen. 
And at the very end, they get attacked by a U-boat. And it turns out he was the the captain of the U-boat that sank the ship. And his, his eternal punishment was to live the sinking of that ship over and over. So, like, once the ship sinks, he's back to square one, suddenly kind of coming to on the ship with this yeah. foreboding feeling. Um, those, it, it, You know, I, I saw that recently and I thought to myself, man, what if that were true? That guy has been suffering that same day for almost 80 years now. Um, or like, you know, think about, you know, like Oppenheimer making the bomb or something. And one of the things I thought the movie did very well was talk about how nobody knew it would work. Yeah, no, I mean, nobody knew what it would do to the world either. I mean, it could have scorched yeah. the atmosphere. I mean, it could have. Yeah, nobody knew what would happen. You know, that's that's what's. So I'm gonna shift. I'm gonna shift this back to zombie. So that's what's okay. interesting about zombie with a shotgun. So so okay. going back to the first film, the yeah. the genius thing that Hilton did, and it's very timely. This universe he's created because imagine a world where you're living with a zombie virus like people today are living with COVID. It's not, it's not a post-apocalyptic world. You it's, it's more of a nuisance and it's just something you hope you don't get. And the government has special teams in place to deal with these, these zombies. Um, but, but imagine a world like that, man, that's what's so genius about the zombie with shotgun world. It's like the, the, like, and, and, and it was, and it was also one of those things that was born out of budget you know, like like Hilton couldn't afford to go close streets of New York to make it look like the world had fallen apart. So he worked around that, and 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 because of that, he created what I what I feel is a very very genius universe. I mean, people are literally day to day living living in a world where zombies are a thing, and and you know you just if you see one, you call the cops, they come pick them up. You know, there's there's a corporation out there dealing with it. Um, I mean that that's what's so genius about that world. Uh, Hilton, speak to that man. Like, kind of give us some background into. Um, how you came up with that universe, that story, and 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 what led to that? I I think it it came back. The whole idea was, uh, and I think we talked about it before, was the inspiration of the AIDS HIV uh, epidemic in New York City, where the they were treated like zombies when they first. And you know, I'm not saying that because it was unknown. No one knew exactly what was going on with these people that were sick. But if you go back in time, you know, it, here in New York City, uh, um, St. Vincent's Hospital on 14th Street, which was like ground zero for AIDS patients that were uh, were dying, and people were scared of them. They didn't want to take care of them. They didn't want to touch them. They didn't want to go near them. Um, and it was sort of like my inspiration to start a zombie series on, on, so, uh, on, on that whole timeline where they lived here. People are sick among us, right? We don't know who's sick. People that walk around and everything, but we still live with them, right? Mm-hmm. And so I figured if we would do something like that in New York, you know, obviously it was shot here in New York City. I felt like there was. Um, it would be it, it would be a different take where er, zombies existed in the real world, but there was no zombie apocalypse, nothing. There was no like zombies would kind of affect the whole world. It was taken care of where the government basically was like, all right, sick people are going in like they're getting, you know, as if they're going to jail or they're getting arrested. You're sick. You're going in. 
uh, stay away, whatever. Yes, they 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 get they get infected and they start you know they can infect everybody. But in the zombie with shotgun part one, did you 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 did see some of the zombies there that uh, were sort of like regular people, but they were just sick. And going back to starting off in the web series of 2012, that's how it all started. That this guy was like you know just basically was like anybody else, but he was a zombie. Um, and I just continued that with the with the feature film and I said, hey, look, let's continue the way it is. We all live in the world of zombies and there's only a few people that know what's really going on where, you know, we have Mr. Yoshida who's, who's wants to have Aaron come in and, and, and have him sort of like, you know, the same old story of where, you know, the government only wants to, you know, doesn't want to cure anybody, but basically just wants to, you know, give uh, out the uh, suppressor or, or medication just to keep them alive, but not cure them. And it's, it's sort of like what we live now in life. And just to just to piggyback on that, um, you know, I I figured that you know, figured with part one, I wanted to do something different. As in, like, if we go to a sequel, do I? You know, we're not. I'm not here inventing the wheel in the zombie genre. You know, it's sort of the same kind of story we've ever seen. It's just this guy's half man, half zombie. It's the only thing that's a little bit different. <clears throat> but if we go to a second one, um, why not change it to him like living in this world that we live in? But there's also a vampire world. And here we have a whole different take on a zombie basically going to meet a vampire. Well, basically, they're the same people, right? They're the undead or, you know, they're dead, whatever you want to call them. They're, they're, they're vampire and zombies are the same people, right? They, they live as long as they can live and just one supposedly be this brainless sort of infected brain. But here a vampire finally meets his match where he's like, wait a minute, this guy is just like me. We're both dead. We both could live on forever. But now he has intelligence like me. What if his army evolves and I could get destroyed as my race? And there goes a threat where the vampires really feel like the zombies are now a threat. And that's why there's this war that's about to start with zombies versus vampires. I thought that was such a cool take on it. You know what I mean? Like, let's, you know, let's take that fresh take on, on the zombies and vampires of both of them fight each other. We've never really seen it before. Uh, vampires want to, you know, they, what do they like? Blood. They want to taste Raiden's blood. They want to know what's in that blood. And um, obviously, you know, Somebody has his heart, which we've seen in part one. Someone took his heart off, and there it goes where that's the the value of uh, uh, the value. Uh, can't even say the word. Value of of uh, Braden's heart is now the vampires want it. And I, I again, that's uh, I wanted to take it to another world that everybody is in the same world, same life. You know, there's vampires living. The government knows there's vampires. They know there's zombies, whatever. They have their own world. We have our own world. And I thought that was like a pretty cool take on it since, you know, again, like budget was one of the key reasons of like why we kept it that story. And I, I thought it was just different. Keep it the same way. Very interesting. It's kind of cool though how how a lack of a budget can drive a plot into into that territory and, and it worked it, it worked for the plot's benefit in my opinion. Um, 
it, it's, I think that's one of the beautiful things about this universe and that story. And, and, and I'll say this too. I always brag on Hilton when I'm on podcast with him and I, I, I don't care. I, he's, I think he's a genius. Um, one of the cool things he's done is he's done what Tarantino's done. He's created this universe. I mean, if you look at his body of work, um, <laughs> he, he's done, Hill, how many films have you done, man? Like more, more than 10, right? I mean, are, are you up, are you up past 10 at this point? Yeah. I mean, about like over 20 projects. Yeah. Clans rules was a vampire yeah. film that he did. Um, it was a short film. It's, it's, it's a fantastic movie. And um, it, all of these, all of these stories exist in the same universe. And, and, and I'm hoping one day we get to do sort of a crossover type story um, where, where, you know, we kind of cross all the universes and we kind of bring them all together. Crossover. How? Well, well the vampires, uh, cause the, 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 we could definitely cross over with this one and we, we've still have not decided where there's vampires in this one. And the film that I did, the short film called clans rules is about vampires. And if we can, there can be sort of like a, I would say an Easter egg uh, uh, in the film where we see somebody from that film and just to show that it's in the same world. I know exactly uh, who to get a cameo for that. Man. Yeah. I know exactly who, who we should have do it, man. I would love that too. Yeah, I would too. I bet he would do it if we asked him. Oh no, no, absolutely. Little little sidebar dialogue here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Who would do it? I, I'll let Hilton. I'll let Hilton. Hilton oh well, that. no. The, the if uh, the clans rules the the uh, um, the main actor in the, in that film. Phase on. Yeah. Huh. He was so good in that part, man. He was so, he 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 was just so good in that part. I think I think Phase on is what makes what what I really I, I feel I feel like that he is what made clans rules clans rules. No, oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Huh. Who's an actor that you really like, Hilton? Oh wow. Um oof. Um Wow. I mean, you know, I think every actor, you know, I'm not trying to be uh, trying to give a political uh, answer here, but like uh, every actor has their like film, you know, if they got that one or two films there um oof uh who is one of my good actors that i have to say i am not like i'm believe it or not i'm not really like i don't want to use the word groupie or like a fan like oh my god it's like every movie he's in i'm gonna play and i, I really give everybody um uh let me just think robert de niro I like Robert De Niro. I like Robert De Niro. I like Al Pacino. I mean, as in like you don't like I, Robert De Niro. I do like Robert De Niro. Yeah, I, I mean, one of my uh, oh. you know favorite films I would have to say was Taxi Driver. Yeah, um, you know, Raging Bull. Um, Al Pacino definitely was is, is up there. Um, oh yeah, I mean, wow, got got to you know make me like. I don't know why I'm thinking about this. And the red, anyway, actually, what's your, what's your, <laughs> you know, I mean, look, growing up as a young, you know, kid, like we all grew up, you know, we loved all like the Harrison Ford and freaking like all those guys. We loved yeah. a lot. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I love Kurt Russell. Um, you know, it was a big, big, you know, I think everybody was a big fan of his. Oh yeah. Kurt Russell's amazing. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think every actor has their, you know, their freaking. Before I got off, but before I got on, I was watching Few Good Men. I think Tom Cruise is a fabulous actor. Oh um, my gosh, that's such a good movie, Jack. That, movie, that, that movie was just. And watching that movie was like, damn man, this guy did it. That guy nailed the film, you know. And even uh, Jack Nicholson just nailed the film, which is amazing. That's a that's a fantastic. Demi Moore was good in it as well. That's Demi Moore was movie. really great in that movie. Yeah, I think that was a, like the casting and that you know even Kevin Bacon was just was fabulous in the film and. Um, even what's his name? Um, Lost Boys. Oh my God, what's his name? <sighs> the Vampire. Oh, oh um, had you not told me? Uh, uh, Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah. Sutherland. Yeah. Yeah, he's good. In his oh role. man, played it like. Whew. Oh, J- JT Walsh, man. Yes. That was one of the last JT Walsh films. Um, yeah, he's he's really good in it as well. Yeah, it was just great, great, great cast. It was just you know it was really, really amazing. I mean, I'm pretty sure we're, we're missing a lot of other people there, but those guys that the film like and again, I think Tom Cruise now that freaking role, dude. Um, yeah, I watched so the other night I ran across and I need to finish it. It was a P, it was a Robert Mitchum Peter Falk World War II film. I think it was from 1968, and I was so blown away because that film was shot in anamorphic and I had no idea anamorphic lenses existed in 1968. Which film is this? Uh, I, I got to look it up. I, I, I'm drawing a blank, but it, it was, it was really good from what I had watched. It was kind of a slow burner, but I mean, it, it was Peter Falk was awesome in it. Uh, and Robert Mitchum plays this, uh, this Navy reporter. He, like he's embedded with a, um, a Ranger battalion, basically. Uh, let's see, Peter Falk. I can tell you. Uh, James Thomas Patrick Walsh. I'm just sitting here on YouTube. I mean, not Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia. Uh, reading about J.T. Uh, Walsh. What year did he die? Was it 96? Uh, uh, you know, okay. 98. He was young when he passed away. Anzio. Anzio. It was called Anzio. Oh, that's the name of the film? Yeah. Yeah. It's just called Anzio. Uh, I don't remember what streaming service I ran across. It looks like it might be off of it. Crap. That sucks. Because I, I, I want to I finish watching it. Um, but man, it, it was, I, I was so shy. I had no idea anamorphic lenses existed back then. But I mean, it had those beautiful blue horizontal lens flares, man. I, I was really, and it actually was fairly gory for a 1968 film. I and mean, there was like blood, you know, there, there was, it was fairly bloody. Um, hmm. Is it, oh, uh, yeah, it was Dino De Laurentiis as well, that, which which explains a lot. Oh, wow. Three thousand ninety six oh. meters of film. <laughs> Jesus, two point three five to one aspect ratio. Hilton, I want, let's let's talk about that, dude. Um, you're you're one of the the last living filmmakers that's gotten to work with film. Like, what all formats have you done? Like, I know you've done sixteen millimeter, eight millimeter. I did all of them. I did the super sixteen, sixteen, eight, uh, thirty five. Uh, I didn't do uh, super thirty five. Um, I've done those, those are the formats I've done. Um, yeah, I, look, I, I, 
you know, sometimes uh, I always say, hey, man, you know, I don't think I'm going to get an opportunity to go back and shoot in a film. Like, I just loved it, you know, especially in black and white film. It's just one of my favorites. So you like film more than digital? Uh, I mean, I can't really, you know, like, they're both good. Uh, if I if I had the choice, I would definitely shoot in film. Um, okay. I, I get it. Uh, digital is, is cheaper, and you, you could basically have the, almost the same look. But there's still something about film that still has a little film bit looks of like edge. a movie. I'm it's like saying. an edge. Film and, um, looks like a movie. Digital does not. It has this richness to it, especially when yeah, it's cleaned uh, up. Digital still has a coldness to it, where mm-hmm. you know the film still has the warmth of it, and and that's the thing that they can't figure out just they can't yet. Do it. They can't. You can't figure out that, and it feels cold. Uh, it's like and, when they did um, when they made the CD. Yeah, uh, there was something like the compact disc. I forget if it was the bass or the drums. There was something they got wrong, so none of the drums or bass sounded sounded right on the old stuff. There's well, I mean, there's a richness to film, and there's a richness to analog that you just can't capture. I mean, like, like you know, to what Hilton's saying, digital is very sterile. Um, it's it's just crisp and clean. It's very sterile with with film, especially like like if they if if you shoot in thirty five and then you like clean it up, um, it looks. I mean, like some of the remastered, you know, because I I I have I mean, admittedly, I have forgotten how bad film looked in theaters, you know, with all the scratches and pops and crackles, and so I miss those days. But when when you see the the DVD transfers of thirty five millimeter films and the Blu ray transfers and they've cleaned them up, it's beautiful. There's there's this richness to it. It's almost like a, it's inside of a membrane or something. It's um, there's just this richness to it that you just don't get with digital. Um, it's the same right. with like there. I actually saw a YouTube video of an audio engineer. He proved that analog was a better sound than digital, like using um. He displayed it visually, but there were like when he did analog versus digital, there was a richness there that you just did not get with digital. It's just too sterile. Um, and, and I think that's why you're seeing such a resurgence of those things. And I don't know, film, film is this like, like, I mean, as a filmmaker, I would like to do it. I frankly don't know how to like, you know, one question I would ask him was like, man, how in the world do you plan for how much film you need? You know I mean? Like if you're Stanley Kubrick, you do 80 takes, you're shooting eighty to one. Like, how do you how do you plan for how much film you need, man? Um, well, it, it depends. Like, if let me see if I ever remember this four hundred foot rolls. Um, if which four hundred foot rolls would give you, I think ten estimated. It'll, it's weird, like eleven, twelve minutes. Um, so. So one, like I give you an example when I would shoot in um, four hundred four hundred foot rolls, we had to make sure that um, you know uh, you know you got you usually use it for ten minutes because the the beginning the beginning of the uh, film is going to be exposed because you know that's the stuff that gets wind up into the camera and and um, and in the end you you're really not you know you you. You you don't you want to cut before it gets to the tail end of the film because that's where it, it you know it gets a little bit messed up it gets loose and it doesn't really shoot well so it's about like twelve minutes uh, I'm pretty sure um, I'm pretty sure that that that's where it is and so what I would do is when I would go out shoot film say we have like a ten minute film and we're basically gonna say okay we're gonna 
what are we going to do a two to one ratio to three to one ratio? You know what I mean? Three takes per, you know, and that time we would, if you was an independent, you know, obviously we were all independent filmmakers. So we would like to do a two to one ratio. And that's really nothing. You got it. You got to get it, dude. You know, you're not, if you can't get it, then you would, if you felt like shit, we couldn't get it. Let's do third take because you know, that film is so expensive. Mm -hmm. So we would, we would buy like maybe uh, six or seven rolls, uh, six or seven rolls there. You would say it's like almost like uh, an hour of stuff that you have because, you know, each roll was like almost like I said, it's like 11 or 12 minutes, but you got to put 10 minutes in fact because, again, you have to roll it in and everything. And you just – it was just a different time. You, did, you, you know, you, you did have video where you could play back some of the stuff if you wanted to. But since you was indie, we had no video rollback, playback. And so we just – whatever you – you, you, you know, what was your take you took? And, you know, we, we measured light meters. That's one thing that, that so completely different with digital is the light meters. And they, they had all these uh, expensive light meters. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> you had to use the light meters to basically test out, you know, the lighting and, and the, you know, your subject matter. And, and it was it an was, art. Yes. It, it was, was an art to do it, that. It was it's all like kind of like mathematical, like the color uh, oh, yeah. of, of how many stops you want, one to two, three stops, four stops. And uh, sometimes you had to like possibly underexposed to overexposed. And then when you go to the processing, you would tell them how to process it. If you wanted to give them a under or overexposed processing, uh, it's like it, it's a, it was a science, just like what Ben saying. It was a, it was a science to it. And um, right. I still have my original light meter, my first, first light meter. I found it the other day. I was like, oh, my God, my first light meter it was a solar light meter. Because we, we, when you first start, they, 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 they tell you to buy the solar light meter. It wasn't a digital one. And then once you got better, if you wanted to stick to filmmaking, you would get a digital light meter. And those cost pretty good money. You know, you know the cheapest one was back then was like $220. But they were, they were beautiful. And that was back when $220 was $220. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> that was that was, God, I feel I feel like I need to, I, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. we're we're getting old. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and and then it's just yeah. you know, digital, uh, digital is here. It's a digital, you know, not a lot of filmmakers shooting film anymore. You know, um, it's a privilege. A lot of to Euro do that. Europeans do, which is really good because the Europeans is actually keeping the art alive. I didn't know why, that. I didn't why are the that. Europeans shooting in film? Because they, they understand the art. They, 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 they treat it as more as art than what we do. We, okay. We're like, you know, we, we just like, you know, fast turnaround. Yeah. They're just more concentrating about the look and the art first. I, I want to comment hmm. on that for a second. I, I, I had the privilege of interviewing Scott Reiniger. And something he pointed out to me. Is is this very subject the difference uh, the difference between the way Americans and Europeans look at the film industry? Okay, um, and his perspective was acting, of course. Um, he said in Europe, they're not concerned with how famous you are; um, they're concerned with your talent and the art of acting. Are you doing the art justice? Whereas here, they're more concerned with the level of fame you have versus you know your actual talent. Um, and, well, and, and here I, it's much more of a commercial these days yeah it's very vapid in, in a way but i thought that was interesting yeah. that you know europeans they they have a they have a a, a, a more uh i don't know i don't know how to phrase it but they're just they're more concerned with the art of acting and 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 is the actor doing justice to it versus hey how many films have you been in and how famous are you um 
you know, yeah. and, and, and it's weird to think that, that there, there's such a divide because, you know, we're both considered the Western world. I think it's interesting, too, that the tradition of, of ADR existed up through, I think, like the 2000s. So back during World War II, um, during the, the, the fascist era, uh, when Mussolini was in power, any films that came out of Italy, and I think I think it spread a little bit further in Italy, um, it didn't matter, you know, whether or not you said your lines. It, it didn't matter. They were going to post ADR the film. ADR means like you would go and record your lines over what was like like you you would you would that you would dub, you would basically dub your lines over the you know the actor speaking, and that's why older European films look weird. It almost looks it, it, it you can kind of tell that it's dubbed. Um, even though it's the same actor, even though they're speaking English in the original recording, um, that was, that was an anti, or that was a censorship measure enacted by Mussolini during the second world war. And it became a tradition. So if I'm not mistaken, and I could have my history wrong here, but if I'm not mistaken, that tradition lived up through the two thousands before they stopped doing that. Um, which, which I thought, I thought was interesting. Huh? And wow. by the way, to, to the audience, the, the ratios Hilton was talking about the two to one, three to one. And I, you know, I jokingly mentioned 80 to one, which actually is not really a joke. Stanley Cooper did that. Your, your shooting ratios. What that means is if we're shooting three to one, um, and this was more important during the days of film than it is today in digital. Basically what you're saying is we, we, we are allowing three takes for every one scene. So when you come up on a scene in the script, you're saying, okay, yeah. we have budgeted enough film for three takes so, if we, so we have to get this right in three takes and move on to the next scene. Um, and so that's, so guys like Kubrick, Kubrick was known to do like 80 to a hundred takes. And in, in, in so, I mean, there's no telling how much yeah. film that man used. Um, My but, air quotes, favorite Stanley Kubrick story is eyes wide shut. One of the actors in eyes wide shut died during production. Wow. And they had to recast the person. <laughs> Which actor was it? I forget. But there's a person in Eyes Wide Shut that's a different person later in the movie. And you're and when I saw it in the theater, I was like, well, this is obviously a plot point. Because I didn't know. I mean, you know, when you're watching Eyes Wide Shut for the first time, uh, which is my least favorite Kubrick movie, by the way. But when you're watching it for the first time, it's like you don't know what the movie is. You don't know what the story is. You don't know what the deal is. Because Kubrick was famous for, like, these puzzle movies, right? You know, or he's also famous for 2001. But you know what I'm saying. There's an actor in that movie that's dead that dies and they recast him. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. I mean, uh, I mean, took anything could happen. He was shooting the movie for almost a year, wasn't it? Or was it longer? It was a lot longer than that. It was a lot longer than that. Because I think uh, they started out married. Uh, Kidman and Cruz started out married and then they got divorced. <laughs> part partway through the film. That's right. That's right. I'm looking yeah. at the I'm looking at the trivia of the film, dude. Kubrick would play mind games with his actors. Um, oh yeah, he did some kind of messed up stuff to Nicole Kidman and, and Tom Cruise on that. What was the What was the movie where he would lie to people? He would lie to the actors that he was even filming. 
Uh, it probably could have been The Shining or something. I think um, there was one of those. Yeah, I'll tell you the, the greatest film that man ever did was 2001: A Space Odyssey. Like you yeah. watch that movie, the fact that, that was made in 1968. I, I can't wrap my head around that. That film is incredible. And and, yeah. I, and, and I'll, I'll tell you another one. Go back to the 1950s, Paths of Glory with um, uh, Kurt, glory. Kurt Douglas. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. Kubrick was ahead of his time. That's the first film I ever saw that actually had the, the like sounds of bullets whooshing past you. Um, and that was mm-hmm. like 1955. Like there are scenes where they're in the trenches and you can hear bullets like whizzing past. Yeah. You know, so I studied that. I studied that film in, in uh, in school, that was one of my first films that I studied. I, I freaking fell in love with it. I was like, Jesus Christ! It's an incredible film, and, it but is. it's not that ricochet sound. He actually had wish, like wishing, you know, the sh- 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 he had he had the wishing sound of bullet. Well, technically, they should crack over over their heads, but um, but you didn't see that in films back then. I mean, but it's lit. It was just something small, a small detail like that set him apart as a filmmaker. Um, the fact that he did that with the sound design. Um, yeah, no, he, he definitely was ahead of his time. He, he, and you know, he, he, he had some. He definitely had to have people that really supported him because a lot of things he did, he got away with a lot of things that they just, you know, you know, like for example, like two thousand one Odyssey. There was some times that it was he was going so many hours. It was just him, the camera guy, and and an assistant was there shooting. There's even photographs of that. That it's just three people there because he worked everyone so many hours everybody went home and he's like i don't need you guys i got i got my camera guy and my assistant and boom and that is incredible and i think uh one of the most famous scenes uh um you know the the jogging was one of those uh, was one of those um scenes that he he just was three guys that's unheard of right now impossible the studio will shut you down like what are you what no way and not shutting it down. I think I think they're probably afraid of him. To be honest, um, he probably got away with what he wanted because he. I'm sure he was a very intimidating guy in real life. I mean, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was not like he was not a likable guy. You want something to eat? I'll make you something. To eat. Yeah, some of the psychological torment he put people. He was. Through. He was not. Yeah, I, I used to, in his documentary, it seemed like not a lot of people. Um, he was not likable. Um, but you know, whatever. Why, why did he go to England to live? Oh, I forgot that story. I mean, I remember. I, I want to say is that he just was tired of the whole like you know politics at Hollywood or, or you know filmmaking here. It's just like you know like a lot like Abel Ferrara left right. He he now lives in Italy. He's doing films there. Um, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, 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 I forgot that story, but in the documentaries, like. He does, it does mention it, and um, he really didn't like the fa- his fame. He really didn't didn't like that. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. Oh, he was uh, one of those uh, guys that just didn't want you know. Yeah, dude, the guy has five films that you can say it's just my like. Unbelievable. Oh yeah, they're gonna be talking about two thousand one forever. Yeah, or like. Clockwork Orange or Full Metal Jacket, you had Paths of Glory, Paths of Glory, or Lolita. You you couldn't make Lolita today. No, even Eyes Wide Shut. 
even I was what show was is is a pretty uh You could uh, right, you couldn't make that today either. Yeah, you can't make that today. Absolutely, especially the, <laughs> we could we could talk about scenes right now. You couldn't even make that right now and and yeah. No, absolutely. Think about it. Also like let's talk about even like full metal jacket. How can you ca- get those like scenes, those those deck, uh, sets that you, you there's just no I way mean, you can do that again. Well, here's a mind blower. Here's a mind blower. If you want a little sneak preview, if you want a little snippet as to how different our society is compared to not all that long ago, you could not, if you did a shot for shot, line for line remake of Full House, you couldn't put it on cable today. You couldn't put it on HBO. Really? You think so? Why is that? Go back. Okay. Go back. And I can tell two things, right? One thing right now. Go back and watch full. Go back and watch the pilot. See if you can find the pilot, the full house. And go back and watch it. Because I had a little, I had a little comedy blog. Once upon a time, I had a comedy blog, and I thought I'd do a little comedy thing of Full House. My jaw was on the floor. I could not believe that actually made it to, like, over-the-air television back in the day. <laughs> couldn't well, believe it. I mean, a lot. I mean, dude, you couldn't even put the office on the air today. The way things have changed, right? No, but see, here's the thing. Every adult today, if you were to watch Full House now, like not like the with Mary Kate and Ashley and all that, but if they remade it, right? If you remade it with different people, but had the same lines, okay? In no way would that, would, could you put that on broadcast television? Probably not even cable. You know? That's, that's wild. Couldn't do it today. Yeah, a lot of shit changed, dude. There's a lot of shit you can't do no more. Right. Well, I tell I tell you with uh with 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 some of the shotgun too. We're not we're not pushing the content envelope. Um, we don't we don't have to. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's talk about the zombie with a shotgun too. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. Look. Um. What can I say? Uh, I have about like ten minutes left, guys. Just to let you okay. guys know. So, you know, what I have to say about Zion and Shotgun, just to go back from the very beginning of a conversation, it's just, uh, it's amazing, again, uh, what we talked about three months ago, uh, talking about doing a very small little indie film like we did with part one, and now how it's just the spiral into this, you know, serious uh, film now. And, um, I, you know, I, I, it's amazing. You know what? What the possibilities of this film to be when we're done with it? Um, and you know, I tell everybody this is even the part one. This is not your typical zombie film. It's not your typical horror horror zombie film. Um, there's more to it than you know. And I, I think a lot of it of what part one. A lot of people were sort of disappointed with part one because that was the thing that they expected with a title, especially zombie with a shotgun. They felt like we wanted to see you know shoot them up blood and guts, zombies killing, and killing humans. And when you watch part one, you're like, wait a minute, this is totally, completely opposite than what typical zombie films are. It's a drama. And, um, yeah. 
And going with the second one, we are going the same way. We are doing the same sort of feel, look, um, you know, and storytelling. And and we hope to break that ice with the sequel, where people is like, all right, this is this is the story of this zombie, and he is the hero. It's his point of view. It's his story, and it's his journey. Where other films, uh, we've never. I know there are zombie films that we there was a point of view, but this one is, uh, you know, again, ha- half man, half zombie, and um, that's that's you know what what. Um, that's where I, I, I have to say about it right now. Um, and yeah, Brian, what do you have to uh, say? I mean, it, it's, it's, it's sort of Shakespearean. Um, it, it's, it's, well, no, I'm not saying that tongue in cheek. I mean, it, 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 by every stretch of the definition, it, it's a drama first uh, and, and a horror film second, you know, we're, 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 um, you know, the, you know, like they say, The Walking Dead is uh, it's a film about or it's, it's a show about people that has zombies in it. You know, um, Zombie with a Shotgun, I would say, is a, a film about a, uh, a, a, a it's a love story and a drama that happens to have a man who's, you know, part, part zombie in it in a world with zombies mm-hmm. and vampires. And, um, oh. you know, it, it's it's uh, it's 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 just a really powerful story. You know, and, and it's, and it's, this is a, this is a zombie, but he has complexity. Um, he has a backstory. He has feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, you know, and, and I'm confident everyone's going to enjoy it. You know, I, I don't want to put anybody by, you know, the fact that we're not doing a traditional horror film here. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be, a, it's going to, I mean, like guys, the cast we have, I, you know, we, we've announced most of the cast there, there, there are some cast we cannot announce yet. Um, but man, we, we have an amazing cast. A, a, an amazing cast. All right. Um, you know, so it, it's going to be a fantastic film. I'm really excited to bring it to life. And we're, you know, Hilton and I are both very, very dedicated. All of our production team, we're very, very dedicated to doing this film right and, and letting it be the film that it deserves to be. You know, while the first one may have been limited by budget, uh, this one will not be. Um, and we're going to, um, we're going to make the film that, that we we're setting out to make. Uh, we're not compromising on that. So it's, we have some really fun stuff in store for everybody. Well, cool, Brian. Uh, Hilton it was good to talk to you. I realize you got to go. Um, you guys have a, have a good evening. And uh, like I say, every time I'm having a good day and I hope you are too, everybody. Hey, real, real quick. Let me, let, let me, okay. man, let me, let me plug the, so guys, we're doing an Indiegogo campaign right now. All right. Um, you know, so, so look at, you know, go to Indiegogo.com zombie with the shotgun too. We've got some real, really cool perks there. Um, any, any amount helps, whether it's 25 cents, a dollar, a hundred dollars, guys, any amount really helps. And, and we, we really appreciate everyone's help. We also have an official Facebook group. Um, we've got a very, very special announcement, uh, within the next week, we're going to be doing something special for our early bird adopters. So, um, but we're only going to announce it on the Facebook group. So uh, definitely join and stay tuned for that. Cool. <clears throat> All right, yeah. everybody. Is that basically uh, wrap it up or. Yeah. Ben, thanks for having us on, man. Yeah, no. absolutely. And Thank we love, you. we love to come back on uh, maybe in a couple of weeks. It'll be cool. It's always good to plug stuff and get things, you know, talk about it and everything like that. <clears throat> okay, guys. Uh, hang with me while I unhook the recording, as I always like to say.